Did you know that real estate is the method where many people in America have become multimillionaires? Do you want to learn about real estate? Stand by. Welcome to the Real Estate Exam Podcast. This is a podcast where we will provide you sample lessons for the real estate exam for the states which we offer full real estate exam audio lessons. Our audio lessons are designed so that you can study for the real estate exam in your state while driving, exercising, or otherwise using time which would be unavailable for reading or looking at a computer monitor. For more information on the full series of lessons, which we have available in various states, go to reexampodcast.com. Good luck in your studies. A career in real estate sales can be extremely rewarding, but the first step is to get your real estate exam license. This is Franz. You've signed up for five free audio lessons which help you prepare for the salesperson real estate exam for the state of Florida. This is the first audio lesson of the five lesson sample that you will be listening to. And the full series of audio lessons are for the audio course Florida Real Estate Salesperson Exam Prep Audio Lessons. The full course consists of 20 lessons and reviews totaling 6 hours and 20 minutes and is available at reexampodcast.com. This first lesson is an introduction to the Florida real estate exam. Welcome to this lesson entitled Introduction. In this lesson, we will start talking about some of the things you're going to need to know in order to get your real estate license in the state of Florida. And we'll be focusing a lot on the test that you have to take so let's go ahead and just get started and start to by talking about that test. The first thing you have to do before you can sign up for the test is to get registered with the Department of Business and Professional Regulation. So this requires you to go to their website to pay a fee. So the website is www.myfloridalicenseallogether.com. And once you go on there, you can go on, you can fill out the necessary forms, you can pay the application fee. And once the application has been approved by the Department of Business and Professional Regulation, or also known as the DBPR, then you get put in an electronic database that says that you are a candidate to have a license in the state of Florida. And once you have done that, you can then actually register for the test, which is done through a website called Pearson View. Pearson View, it's V-U-E. You're going to need to contact Pearson View to actually schedule the test. And there are two different ways that you can do that. And the first is to call their customer care line, which you can call them during business hours. They're open on weekdays and on Saturday for a more limited time and on Sunday also for limited times. Make sure you realize that they are on Eastern Time and that you you have to call during business hours in order to set up your test. 
you also need to make sure that you set up your test, you call them at least five business days before the date on which you want to take the exam. These reservations are first come, first served. So honestly, it's a better idea to register for the exam in as far in advance as possible so that you have the best chance of getting the date that you want. So if you sign up on either through the phone or online, you get a confirmation number and that confirmation number needs to be taken with you to the testing center to make sure that you can get in and take your test. The other way that you can sign up is through their website. And this can be done at any time, not just during regular business hours. And this is just www.pearsonview, and so remember that's P-E-A-R-S-O-N-V-U-E.com, pearsonview.com. In order to sign up in this way, you have to have a valid email address and a credit card number or an electronic check because there is a fee associated with this. And then you'll get that same confirmation number, but then they'll go ahead and just send that to the email that you provide them. So you don't have to write it down at the time if you don't want to. And when you're making your reservation, either over the phone or electronically, you'll be able to choose a test center location. And there are many different locations located throughout the state. Some are at universities, some are at different public buildings or schools. They can even be taken in different states as long as the test vendor has a testing center there. So let's say you want to get your Florida license, but you're currently living in Georgia. You can still take the test as long as you find an authorized testing center. And also, when you, at the time you register for the test, make sure that you are able to pay the fee. There is a, a application fee to take the exam. And make sure that you really have the date and the time and the place all nailed down. You only have four days after you register to make any changes and still get your feedback. If you wait too long, then you're not going to get your feedback, and that will be frustrating to say the least. Also, if you don't end up showing up to your test or you try to cancel after the four-day grace period has expired, you're going to be charged your full examination fee. It will not be refunded. So make absolutely sure that you can be there on the required day and time and place so that you don't have to pay that. So let's talk a little bit about actually taking the test, what you can expect from the test itself. Most of this course will be devoted to the content of the test, but at the beginning here, let's talk about actually taking the test so you know a little bit about what to expect. The first thing that you should keep in mind is that it's a great idea to arrive early to allow yourself extra time in case there's traffic or weather or something else that keeps you from getting to the testing center at the right time. You also need to make sure that you bring two forms of signature identification. And one of those has to have a photo on it, so it has to be a photo ID. Things like a driver's license, a passport, and other forms of official identification can be used. 
make sure that you can prove that you are who you say you are and that you're not coming to take the test for someone else. That's why they ask you to bring those forms of identification. You also need to make sure that you have that confirmation number that you got when you signed up for the test, whether that was over the phone or whether that was emailed to you. You are allowed to bring a handheld battery-operated calculator, as long as it's not one that makes noise and not one that prints things out. So you can bring a calculator because there will be some math on the test different sorts of real estate math, which we'll talk about later, but you are allowed to bring a calculator. It can't have an alphabetic keypad, so it has to be a pretty simple one. It's just for doing regular calculations. It's not one of the graphing calculators that you'll be able to store things on. That's the problem, is you can actually store words and information on graphing calculators. So it, uh, they don't want those because it makes it a lot easier to cheat on the test if you have something like that. And make sure that your calculator has fresh batteries so that it doesn't run out in the middle of the test or else you might have to do things on paper. It's also important don't bring a solar powered one because you don't know whether you're going to have access to sunlight. And make sure that you leave your cell phone or pager or other electronic device at home or in your vehicle. Do not bring it into the testing center. And once again, this is a precaution against people cheating on the test. And another thing that you are allowed to bring is a foreign language translation dictionary. So just in case that's something that you need. It has to be, once again, a very simple one, one that just has the definitions of words, that sort of thing. The exam itself is taken on a computer, and it's multiple choice. So that just say A, B, C, or D, and you'll be able to just move your mouse, click on the choice that you want, and then that's recorded by the computer. Make sure that you're taking your time, thoroughly reading through the question, so make sure that you understand it and reading all of your answer choices just to make sure that you didn't miss something. One nice thing about the test is that it does let you go forward and backward. You can review things that to go back and check on them later. And there's even uh, what's called a summary screen where you can kind of see an overall, how many questions there are total, how many you've already answered, which ones you've not answered. You can even mark some for say, uh, let me go back and look at that later. Before you actually take the test, you'll be given the opportunity to do a tutorial, which is just kind of a dry run. It will show you some sample questions. They, these ones don't count towards your score on the test, but they do allow you to familiarize yourself with the interface on the computer. So it is recommended uh, just to take a few minutes and go through the tutorial. It shouldn't last more than 10 to 15 minutes and make sure that you understand exactly how everything operates so that you don't lose points simply through operator error and not a lapse in your knowledge. A good thing to remember is that it is perfectly fine to skip some questions and go back to them later. One good test-taking strategy is to go through and answer all of the questions that you feel certain about first. Go to your first pass through the test, answer the ones that are easy to you, and get as many points as you can that way. Then, if you have remaining time, 
go back again and start working through the more difficult ones. So the ones that are not quite as sure in your mind or that might take a little bit longer. For example, some of the math might take you a little bit longer because you're actually doing equations and computations and you're not just choosing A, B, C, or D. You have to make sure that you calculated everything correctly. And after you've gone through the test, there's an option to say review unanswered so that, that you go back and just look at the ones that you did not answer on your first time through. Now the questions in the exam, there's three kind of overarching categories that are going to be there. The first is real estate law, real estate principles and practices is the second, and the third part is math. And the math questions are given kind of here and there. They're not all in one section, they're kind of just scattered throughout the exam. The questions don't really have any particular order. They're not all the hard questions or the easy questions together. Uh, if you are trying to apply for a broker license, there will be some additional questions, eight questions that regard the closing disclosure. So those are just something that's specific to just if you're going for a broker license. One thing to remember about the exam is that it is a timed test. You do not have all the time in the world to take it. Currently, the test is set at three and a half hours. That may sound like a lot of time, but there are also quite a few questions, and some of the questions, especially the math ones, are going to take you a little bit of time. So it's a good idea to watch the clock to make sure that you're making good enough progress, not hanging up on any particular question for too long. If a question is taking too much time, it might be good just to mark it for a review and to go back and do that question later if you have time at the end. It might be good to say, to look at the clock when you're you know, an hour into it or halfway through it and make sure that you've, got, you've roughly done that percentage of the question. So like if you're, you're half the halfway point in time, do a quick check and make sure that you are about halfway through the questions. It's okay if you're not exactly halfway through, but make sure that you are at least making good progress. And as I mentioned before, it's a good strategy to try to do multiple passes on the test, where in the first pass you answer the ones that you're sure about, followed by the ones that are a little bit unclear, and then finally knocking out the hardest ones at the end for as much time as you have. And if you feel like you are running out of time, just make sure that you tackle the questions you feel the most confident about so that you can get as many points as possible, but also don't leave any questions unanswered. If you leave a question unanswered, that's a 100% chance that you're gonna get it wrong. However, if you answer the question, there's a 25% chance, even if you're completely guessing, that you will get it right. And with a little bit of thought, you can usually eliminate an answer or two. So if you can eliminate two of the four answers, that increases your odds to a 50-50 chance. So if you're running out of time, make sure that you have selected an answer for absolutely every question so that you have a chance of boosting your points that way. And if you have time, 
trying to eliminate a few of the least likely answers so that your educated guess is a little bit better. And not everybody is going to take the test in the same way. Your personal learning style, your personal test-taking style is going to vary from person to person. It's a good idea just to make sure that you understand how you react to pressure, to anxiety, so that you know ways that you can calm yourself down if you're feeling anxious about something, and know how you work best. To come in with sort of a game plan or a battle strategy, as it were, so that you don't have to think of these things when you're actually in the moment and the clock is ticking. It's much better to have a plan beforehand. An important strategy in taking a multiple choice test is knowing how to analyze the questions as they come up. As you're reading through the questions, one of the most important things that you should look for is the actual question that's being asked. What specifically is the question asking you to find or to know? Sometimes there might be information in the item itself that is distracting or even misleading. So make sure that you understand exactly what it is they're asking so that you know what to select. This is especially important in math problems so that you first ask, okay, what is it that I need to find? What is it that they're asking for? And then the next step from there is to ask what formula do I need to use in order to get there? And then in creating this formula, looking back at the question and seeing what numbers they give you. So the numbers that are in the question are most likely the ones you're going to need to use in your formula. And so analyzing the numbers, analyzing what they're asking you to do, and then writing down the formula and doing the math and then comparing your answer to the given answers. So if you don't get one of the given answers, you know you did something wrong. However, if you did get one of the given answers, there's a good chance you could be right. But it's always a good idea to quickly double check your work. Sometimes there'll be an answer that you get that they know that that is a common mistake that people make and so they give that as one of the distracting answers. So just because you get an answer that it appears in the A, B, C, or D doesn't always mean that you've stumbled upon the right answer, but that you might need to double check your work. It's a good idea right off the bat to, to try to eliminate a few answers in these math questions that aren't plausible. So before you actually sit down and do the, the formula, actually calculate, there's ways that you can estimate to give yourself kind of a ballpark number. So if the numbers are are not nice round numbers, you can round them up or down to the nearest number and quickly do some so a calculation in your head to see if, oh, it's probably going to be, to be about this much. And so if you see a couple answers that are completely out of your kind of ballpark estimate, you can say, well, it's probably not those. And so I'm going to focus on the remaining ones that seem a little closer to my estimate. So I'm going to actually do the work now and see which one of those actually comes out once I crunch the numbers. 
Finally, let's talk about a few things that you need to look out for, things that might trip you up if you're not careful. The first is that sometimes they ask for the best answer. There might be a couple answers that are good answers, but there's one that's clearly the best choice. So if they ask for that, carefully consider not only which options are good, but which option is the best out of all of the options. The second is sometimes they might even ask you to find the incorrect answer. They'll give you three answers that are correct and one that is not. So if, if that's the case, make sure that you're choosing the incorrect statement and not one of the correct statements as this will cause you to lose those points. Another thing that you might need to look for are negatives. So they might ask you for which of the following is not a good example or is not a way and so on. So if you see the word not, you need to make sure that you are looking for the thing that is not instead of the thing that is, as in most questions. So carefully read those questions before you consider which answers because uh, a lot of these are simply meant to make sure that you are paying attention, to make sure that you really understand what you are doing, that you really have the knowledge that that is required to pass the exam. After you take the exam, the exam is graded at the test site and the candidates are given notice when the grade is ready. And then once, once the grade is ready, the candidates are given notice whether they passed or fail. And if they passed, you just say, great, you passed. And if you fail, it gives you a breakdown of the points that you scored in each of the major subject areas. So you can see where you did well, where you might need some improvement as well. So these are this is a high stakes exam. It's important to review all the materials well in advance of taking the exam. It's not something that would be easy to cram for in, a, in just a few days. And when you go there, make sure that you are well rested, you're well fed, that you don't have anything that is distracting you from taking the test. So for example, you might want to use the restroom before you take the test so that doesn't become a distraction during the test. So there are uh, going to be 100 questions. That's plenty. Uh, it's going to take you a while. And so you don't want anything else distracting you while you're taking the test. And a parting word of advice, there are also practice exams that you can take. Um, if you have access to one of these, that's an excellent way to make sure that you're on the right track. If, and it will help you prepare you for seeing what sort of things are going to be on the test. It's not going to be the actual questions, but they are going to be similar questions. So they're good um, for using to practice your test taking strategies. And that is all for this lesson for today. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening. We hope you found this lesson valuable. Again, we are offering audio lessons for the real estate exam for various states. Check out our website, reexampodcast.com, to see if we have audio lessons available for your state. If you have any thoughts or suggestions, please contact me by using the contact form at the website, reexampodcast.com. Keep studying.